Greetings in Jesus' name, and I welcome each one of you here to our time of worship this morning. As Marvin mentioned um, in the last song, my message this morning is going to be on godly families, and as most of you probably know, that comes from our church values that we as pastors have been covering over the last few weeks in our sermons. And so today I will be sharing the one on families. That's number four on our list of five church values. And then since there's five and there's four pastors, um, I ended up with two. So the next time um, I'm planning to preach on salt and light, which is um, number five on our list of church values. But for today, we'll be looking at godly families. And in our church values, it reads, we believe that godly families and marriages are the strength of our society and the church. We seek to be family to those who do not have a strong godly family connection. So as we think about this subject today, I want you to remember not only is this for you and your family, and yes, we all are connected in some way to family, be it if we are a husband, a wife, a child, we all are connected to family in some way. As we are in those relationships, that's not only for us in our personal families, but that we allow that um, to flow beyond our own families into others who need a loving family connection. It's not always just blood relationships. There's others that we can be a family to. <coughs> so why is family important to us as a church? And I have a few thoughts here. Maybe you would have some other thoughts. But these are some thoughts, I think, why family is important to us as a church. Number one I have is that God uses family as a way to demonstrate his relationship with the church. And over and over again in the scriptures, we see God using family. We see God using the relationship between husband and wife to demonstrate the relationship between Jesus, the bridegroom, and the church as his bride. So I think that is one reason that family is important to us. It's important to God. Also, family touches all of us, no matter who we are or where we come from. We are part of a family. You know, for some of us, family is something we value. It's dear to our hearts, and it's been a positive influence in developing who we are today. But for some of us, family has brought us some regrets, some pain, and we want to acknowledge that today as well. You know, my goal today is to explore what God's goal is for the family and the blessings and joy that comes from it as we live within the roles God has established for us. And also, our family life is where we relate, learn how to relate, first of all, to God and how we relate to others. We can be taught <coughs> how to be a um, good asset to society as we grow up in our family. It affects our views on a whole host of issues, including God, including church, authority, those within our communities, those who we may disagree with our work ethic, the values in our personal lives, and many more. And for those of you who are parents, you will have a lasting impact on the lives of your children under your care. 
and I appreciated how Matt pointed that out this morning. You as parents have a very long lasting impact. <clears throat> your influence as a parent will greatly affect the way that your children see God and how they display that to those they associate with. You know, our impact as a parent is amplified through our children. You know, for me, not only do I have one person saying and doing the things I do sometimes, sometimes there's six, you know? <laughs> you see something come through and you're like, yeah, I know where that came from. Sometimes it's good and sometimes it's not so good. So your choices, your influence is greatly amplified through your children for good or for bad. So I think that um, gives us some pause as we think about what our influence is and also what our influence is on society through our children. <coughs> as our church values said, that is the foundation of society is our godly families. So for today, I want to look at, first of all, look at a few foundations of a godly family. Then I will be going into a few thoughts on husbands, wives, children, and then um, a wrap-up with a few closing thoughts. So first of all, if we are looking for godly families within the church, I think that's most important in all that is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You know, if, we are, if our desire is to raise children and families that grow up to be children of God, we first of all need to have that relationship with Jesus Christ first. We need to have him as Lord of our life if it's our goal to have children that follow him. And that calls for spiritual maturity to be able to teach and explain scripture to our children. We saw in our Sunday school lesson today, Paul talks about how the people in Thessalonia, they followed him. And so, and Matt alluded to that also, how that our children follow our example. And so as we teach and train our children, we need to have spiritual maturity. It takes time in the word and a connection with God to answer those questions as our children come along. And we also discussed in our Sunday school lesson about a question that came up at school, you know, when, when your child comes from home from school and they have those questions and, you know, sometimes you have to dig for the answer to those questions and that's good. We're not always going to have the answer to difficult questions on the tip of our tongue. But I'm grateful for the people that have challenged my perspectives and my beliefs at times. It has caused me to dig deep, has caused me to dig into scripture, and has helped my relationship with God. Challenges to us are good for us, and so we need to develop in maturity. You know, sometimes it seems we can easily have answers to hobbies or passions and jobs, etc., but... It, do we have the answers for spiritual life? And if we hunger and thirst after righteousness, as Jesus um, says in the um, Beatitudes, if we hunger and thirst after righteousness' sake, he will fill us. So as we seek after him, he will fill us. And as we are filled, that knowledge can flow to our children. Children will pick up what is important to you. And that flows into the next one, that the Bible is taught in our homes. There's no better way to equip yourself and your family for the realities of life than to be immersed in the teaching of God's word. The Bible is inspired by the Holy Spirit, and it spans thousands of years of human experience, triumphs, and failures, and it's packed with wisdom 
for our lives and direction for our lives. So we need to be in the word and we need to be teaching scripture. Also, number three is fellowship with other believers. You know, we do need to not only have our children under our teaching, but fellow believers. Going back to what I said about our beliefs being challenged at times, it is good for us to have fellow believers who are also in the word and sometimes see a different perspective that we do and can help direct our children. And fourthly is that marriage is for life. And we find this in multiple scriptures. Jesus says in Matthew 19, 4 through 6, he answered and said, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they no longer shall be two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man put asunder. So here we see that as we get married, not only are we doing it um, as husband and wife in front of the church physically, but God also has part in molding and shaping us into one. <clears throat> and the disciples in the Matthew account here, they acknowledge that this is a difficult statement, that marriage is for life, that you are bound to your wife as long as you live. You know, but as we think about this, there's a few things we need to remember. You know, a marriage vow between a man and a woman is a promise. It's a vow that we make. And if we break our promises, we have not been faithful in upholding what we just told our spouse. You know, it's more than a promise between us. It's a promise between us and God. And there's something much deeper happening here. And I want to consider an example for a moment. Alicia has been making our, the soap that we use at home. And in soap, there are two basic components. You have lye and you have oil. And in our case, that's beef tallow. Lye is a very caustic product and it can cause burns. And as you're making soap, you have to be really careful and wear goggles and gloves so that you don't get burned. But as the lye goes through the chemical reaction of the mixing those two products together, the oil and the lye, there is a chemical reaction called saponification. And there is a chemical reaction that causes a lot of heat and like I said, it it's, can be dangerous. You start out with two ingredients, but these are combined into one as you have that chem chemical reaction. Those two, chemical, those two products are, are put together and now you have soap. That soap is nourishing to your skin, it cleans off the dirt, and it is a great product. They're no longer caustic, it's no longer gonna cause you burns, but nourish you. But now try to take that, that bar of soap apart now. It's one, it's no longer two. Those two products have become one and it is impossible to separate them. I could break that bar of soap apart, I could break it in half and give it to you. You have two pieces, but they're still part of the same. So I think that's how it is with our lives. You can break them apart again, but there is still something that goes with us as we break those marriages apart. So as we th think about that, that permanence of marriage also mirrors Christ's love for the church. And I'll get into this as we think about husbands in our life. We are called to love as Christ loved. And if we as husbands give up on our wives, we are not mirroring Christ's love for the church. So the permanence of marriage is a reflection of Christ's love for us. Christ didn't give up for us simply because we, he didn't like what we were doing. He loved us unconditionally. 
So moving on to the three parts of the family, I want to look at husbands, wives, and children, like I said. And the scripture verses I want to look at are, uh, first of all, Ephesians 5, 22, and then through chapter 6, verse 4. Ephesians 5, starting at verse 22. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word that he might present it to himself as a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever hateth his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body and of his flesh and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall be joined in his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. That is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and thy mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and that thou mayest live long on the earth. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. <coughs> I have a few more scriptures to go along with this. And so next we'll turn to Colossians 3, verses 18 through 21. Colossians 3, verses 18 through 21. Wives, submit unto yourselves unto your own husband as it is fit in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well pleasing unto the Lord. Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. <clears throat> and lastly, we'll turn to 1 Peter 3 and verses 1 through 7. 1 Peter 3 verses 1 through 7. Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may be, may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives, while they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear, whose adorning let it not be that outward adorning of plaiting the hair and the wearing of gold or putting on of apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which in the sight of God is a great price. For after this manner in the old times, the holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves, being in subjection unto their own husbands. Even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters ye are, as long as ye do well, and are not afraid with any amazement. Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, give them honor, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and being heirs together of grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. <coughs> Okay, that, some of that is a little repetitious, but I thought there was little nuggets in each one of those passages that um, were really valuable. 
And so first of all, we want to look at husbands. What is your calling if you're a husband in a family? And I think from those scriptures we can see that it is Christ-like love. Christ-like love is your calling as a husband. Love your wife as Christ loved the church. So my question to you, if you're a husband this morning, is how did Christ love the church? How does that look? Did he love with reservation or without reservation? And did he come halfway or did he come all the way? Now, Christ didn't love in a 50-50 proposition. He loved fully and without reservation. Jesus came all the way. He gave all. He came from heaven to save you and I. He lived a life of financial poverty, rejected by his acquaintances, and then finally gave his life on the cross, which was a very horrific death. He did all of that for you. He gave all for us. And that's what he's calling us to as husbands. And that, as I was thinking about preaching this message, that really hit me as I was thinking about God's love, Christ's love for the church, and that we are, as husbands are called to that. It's a very high calling indeed. And then, secondly, we're supposed to love like your own body, and sometimes maybe telling men that isn't, <laughs> I don't know if that's a good analogy or not, but, you know, sometimes we do things that are kind of harmful to our own bodies, but I think the concept there is if you're sick or you hurt yourself, you're going to take care of it. You're going to love your own body. Learn to do that with your wife. When she's hurting, take care of her. Make sure she is well taken care of. And I think that's what we see there in, that, in Ephesians 5. And then also love with understanding. In 1 Peter 3, 7, we see that. It says, live with them according to knowledge. I think we are all well aware that each person is different. Each person has different likes and dislikes. And so we need to, to live with our wife in an understanding fashion. You know, as you do that, in a sense, as you are taking her desires and her fears into consideration as you live life, you, in a sense, are coming in under submission to your wife. You know, oftentimes we lump <coughs> the subject of submission and we put it together all in the wife's side. But I think as we live in understanding with our wives, we are in some way, shape, or form coming in submission to them. And also that passage talks about being heirs of grace together. Not only are you one in marriage, you are also one in Christ. You are united in Christ. He is your equal in Christ. You know, um, God's command for wives to submit to their husband is, you know, not grounds for husband to relate to her as someone under him. You go forward as a team, side by side. She's not under him. She is beside him. And I was blessed with that thought as we went through the marriage seminar recently when Sean and Marty were talking about that. You know, she came to the realization that she was not to stand under him but beside him. And I think that is the picture that the scripture gives here. And that was actually quite different than the culture would have shown back then. 
And so I think we are heirs together and grace of life is something that we as husbands need to keep in mind. And why are we as husbands called to this? It says so that our prayers are not hindered. And that's a very powerful message. Husbands, your relationship with your wives affects your connection with God. If we have a we do not have an understanding relationship with our wives, we cannot expect a good relationship with our Heavenly Father. And I think that shows the great value and high esteem that God has for wives in our marriage relationship. Also, Christ-like love is not bitter. Do not be embittered with your wife, as we see in Colossians 3.19. Embittered means becoming angry or resentful. Most of you probably don't struggle with that, do you? <laughs> um, but I think we can all admit we're human, and there's days where something, you know, just sets us off, and we can become angry and resentful at having been treated unfairly. There again, we need to come back to the example of Christ. He did not get embittered when he was not treated fairly. He took that and was willing to go through with all of the unfairness that was directed at him, and he was still able to say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Christ didn't allow the injustices commit, committed against him turn his heart towards bitterness, and that's the love that we as husbands are called to share with our wives. And imagine the impact it would have if all Christian husbands practiced this. It would change the world quite dramatically. You know, we as fathers and husbands, we are called to reflect the love of Christ to our families. You know, let's not stand in the way of that as we live in our homes. And just lastly, for fathers, nurture your children. We, as we read through those scriptures, it talks about nurturing our children. And as I think about nurturing, I think about, you know, there's a lot of greenhouses in this area, and I think of a little plant. And that little plant starts in a very protected environment. <clears throat> there's a lot of moisture a lot of light put on that plant to encourage it to grow. But as that plant gets older, it slowly has to stand on its own more and more, and eventually it gets put out into what we call the real world. I think that's what we should do as fathers. We need to nurture our children as they're young and help them, keep them warm and, and shed a lot of light in their life to keep them growing. It talks about not provoking them to wrath, not discouraging them, but bringing up them in the ways of the Lord. Moving on to wives, and I want to focus a little bit on 1 Peter 3, where it talks about um, godly submission. <coughs> Excuse me. And as we think about this topic of submission, oftentimes we start out here in verse 1, and we don't look back at the previous chapter at the context. You know, most of us, we don't jump for joy. Some reason, for some reason, we don't jump for joy when we think about the word submission. And um, our carnal man kind of rises up against that. But here Peter calls wives to live in godly submission. But I want you to think about the previous chapter calls more than just wives to godly submission. It is a lifestyle as a believer. And also... Ephesians refers to it as submitting in the fear of God. I want you to think about that in the fear of God. 
Submission is not to be used by husbands to get their way. But the wives are to submit in godly fear, and husbands are to respect that in godly fear. Peter was talking about submission for all of us. He had talked about submission to government rulers and laws, and he encourages servants to obey their masters. We are all called to live a life of submission. And then he breaks into um, chapter 3 here where he talks about wives living in subjection to their husbands. And here I'm blessed again as I look at both of these topics of love and submission Scripture always points us back to the example of Jesus because the verses just preceding chapter 3 are talking about how Jesus submitted. Verse 23 of 1 Peter 2 says, he, When he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not. He committed himself to him that judges righteously. He his own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sin, should live unto the righteousness by whose stripes ye were healed. Now imagine if Jesus would have not been willing to come under subjection of his heavenly Father. <clears throat> imagine what we would have missed out on if he would have been unwilling to submit. And so I think as you know, we think about this topic of submission... You know, God has a beautiful plan for those of you that are in the role of a wife. And to, expe to experience the fullness of that plan, we need to come under the submission of God and of our husbands. And as we do that, God can richly bless those that are around you. He can bless your husband, your children, and your community. And it also betrays to society the relationship of Christ and his bride. We as God's people and church come under the headship of Jesus and we submit to his leadership. Now this is a high but noble calling as well, one that our human nature tends to push back again. But we need Christ to fill our hearts so that we can fulfill this calling. And just a few encouragements for you as husband and wife. You're a team as you walk through this life together as husband and wife. We're heirs, just again reminding us that we're heirs together, not the husband in front of and the wife behind, <coughs> but we stand together in our roles. Men and women each have their own unique spiritual gifts and ministries given to them by God. And if we look further in 1 Peter, in 1 Peter 4.10 God teaches us to use the gifts that God has given us for the kingdom. 1 Peter 4, 10, it says, As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another. <coughs> Excuse me. As good stewards of the manifold grace of God. God has enabled each one of you with gifts to fulfill the roles he has called you with. And embrace your roles and gifts in whatever that is. You know, God's design is orderly, and God gives us freedom to thrive within those roles. And if we're constantly trying to push back against that, we lose a lot of time and energy that we could use on serving Christ and his kingdom. Moving on to children. 
God calls children to honor, and we find that in Ephesians 6, 2, and also it's mentioned in the Ten Commandments. Now, for you children, this one is important enough for God to include it in the Ten Commandments. And Jesus also reaffirms this principle in the New Testament. He challenged the Pharisees for their treatment, to, for their failure to honor their parents. And when the rich young ruler came to Jesus to ask what must, he must do to inherit eternal life, the commandment, Jesus said the commandment to honor your parents was included in that. And I just want to want you children to consider that to honor your parents may look different for you than it may look for your friends. Each parent has their own unique set of values and goals for their home and families, and it's important that children do the best they can to honor that. And that all obviously needs to fall within the bounds of God's word, but uh, try to honor your parents. You're called by God to honor your parents as you live in your home. You also honor your parents by the way that you represent them outside your home. You know, sometimes maybe dad asks you to do something, and your response to that to your friends can be honoring or dishonoring. And even sometimes when your parents have treated you unfairly, maybe they're not just been the type of parents that God intended them, them to be. I believe there's still a way we as children can approach that with honor and dignity. And, you know, as, as I've grown older, I've, you know, become aware of many difficult situations that children have faced in their homes, you know, my peers and things. And so as, as, become a, as I've become a parent, I can start to feel overwhelmed with, you know, I don't want to do that in my own life, you know, trying so hard to avoid all these mistakes. And while we must do, by God's grace, do our best, we must acknowledge that we as parents are human. I am going to hurt my children. I'm going to hurt my wife at times. And I had to come to grips with that. You know, I can't avoid all the hurts in my relationships. But, you know, as I allow God to refine my character and by God's grace, I can try to avoid those hurts as much as possible. I think it's important for us as parents and children to recognize that we need to give each other grace. As we are both aware of that, you know, what the grace that God has shown us, you know, we need to show each other grace through those times. I think many times that is when the biggest hurts come in a parent-child relationship is when we are unwilling to acknowledge those hurts and then are unable to give each other grace. You know, I know in our human way of thinking, it's often difficult to have that attitude of grace. You know, at times there are situations that are very difficult in a parent-child relationship but I believe if we are a child that is in one of those situations, and if we are a child of God, we can approach it with an attitude of honor, respect, and grace. And also, obedience is essential for a strong, godly home. And we find that in Ephesians 6.2 and Colossians 3.20. Disobedience brings chaos to homes, to churches, and to society. You know, the child that doesn't learn to obey their parents in their home will not obey those outside the home, such as school teachers, um, pastors, employers, and laws of the land. And this brings a lot of frustration and disorder to all involved. You know, God didn't 
command children to obey their parents just to make their life difficult, but he commanded that to produce an orderly society. <coughs> and God takes rebellion very seriously. In Deuteronomy, it talks about the rebellious son was to be taken outside and stoned. And also in 1 Samuel 15, where he was talking, where Samuel was talking to King Saul, King, King Saul was rejected by God because of his disobedience. And just a few thoughts on parents relating to your children. You know, God's command for children to honor their parents is not a trump card that we get to pull on them. I believe this is a principle that applies to each one of these things we've looked at here in Scripture. You know, yes, God's command is for husbands to love their wives, but, to, for, but, not, but it's not for wives to demand it or husbands to demand submission from their wives or for parents to demand honor from their children. Demanding things rarely brings good relationships. Oftentimes we can focus on our children honoring us, but I think as parents we can miss the part about nurturing them. Some parents demand honor but then fail to nurture, and this causes a lot of heartache and discouragement. And also as we relate to children and parent relationships, there's also the principle we read about of leaving and cleaving, and that can also create very hurtful family relationships. When we fail to leave and cleave, we fail to leave our parents and cleave to the spouse that we have vowed to live with. I thought about a, a story or uh, a video my children and I watched recently that I thought about this. It's kind of an extreme example of leaving home but there's a goose species called the barnacle goose that nests in the Arctic islands. And to protect their eggs and their little goslings, they put their nests on really high cliffs and crags of these islands. <coughs> but there's one problem with this strategy. The food, the grass that these goslings need to survive is a couple miles away at the seaside. So how do they accomplish this? What happens is the parents will fly down to the base of the cliff and sit there and wait for the little ones to come. And it's quite gut-wrenching, actually, to watch. These little goose goslings, they will go to the edge of this cliff, and it can be hundreds of feet down, and they will launch themselves out into space. And you'll watch them bounce off of rocks, tumble down the rocks, and slide all the way down to the bottom. And unfortunately, some of them don't survive but this is the only way they can get food, is they need to leave the nest. And parents with older children, you can probably relate to this. We want to keep them in that nest. We don't want to see them make the jump. But there is a time that we need to let our children make the jump. And that's maybe a little easier for me to say because my children aren't quite as old as some of you are. But, you know, I think it can cause um, hurts when we try to always keep them in the nest because... We as parents, we left the nest at one point too. So I think we need to remember to let our children leave and cleave. So just a few thoughts to wrap this up. It's no secret that God's design for strong, godly families is in decline today. It's not a very popular um, idea. And the health of the family structure 
begins with each, how each one of us lives out our lives and God's will for our family within our context. And, you know, it's easy for us as humans to focus on what is happening in culture but I'm afraid sometimes the devil uses that to distract us from what's happening within our own hearts and our own lives. It's easy to condemn, condemn modern society and its deviation from God's plan. But if we, as husbands, live in an unchristlike manner, we are also deviating from God's plan. If we as wives, or you as wives, sorry, <laughs> and, you know, do not live in submission, in godly submission, you are also deviating from God's plan. And children being on dishonoring and disrespectful and disobedient are also deviating from God's plan. So I think we need to um, look at our own hearts and see how we can live in a godly manner within our own families. And as we do that, that creates strong families, it creates strong churches and strong society. Just a few practical thoughts. Um, that I wanted to share with you, and one is in the importance of meals together, and I'm sure you've probably heard that before. But a study was conducted by the National Center on Addiction and Substance Abuse at Columbia University, and it found that children in homes where families ate dinner together were more likely to get better grades at school, which reduced the risk of substance abuse. They were two and a half times less likely to use marijuana, half as likely to use alcohol, and four times less likely to smoke. Children that ate Dinner with their parents said they, their parents were somebody they could confide in. Children that ate dinner with their parents also had better mental health, and they ate healthier. So we see sometimes it's the little things in life that go a long way in creating strong families. And in our uh, world today, where everything is so fast-paced, this is one of the areas that we can tend to let slip pretty easily. Also, don't pit family and church against each other. Sometimes it's easy to say we can't do something for church because we need to do something with our family. And I think somehow we need to find a way to um, do those together. I know we can't always do that, but I think we, we shouldn't tell our family we can't do something at church just because of our family. I mean, I know there's situations that come up, but... We should be able to do those together. It's not an either-or situation. We, as godly families, should be able to put those together. You know, your family is the foundation of society. Society is built on the beliefs and actions of individuals. And as we build those within our godly families, that can build strong societies. Many of our beliefs and values are ingrained in us as a child. And sometimes these beliefs are so much a part of us that we just act on them subconsciously. So my prayer for you this morning is that we could find joy in God's plan for each of our lives, wherever that plan has called us. And I just encourage you to love, submit, and honor in the fear of God. And I just pray that God would bless each one of you wherever that uh, he has called you. Let's have a word of prayer as we close this service.